It went from maybe 40 down to... 40 Celsius? No. Yeah. It's Madagascar. <laughs> wow. That's not that. I mean, it's hot, but we're at like 37. Not right now we're not. Our bodies are. Oh. Yeah, I don't want to go outside when it's my body's temperature. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty How miserable. you act like <laughs> I'm ridiculous for thinking that like 40 plus degrees Celsius is an unbearable temperature? <laughs> Welcome to Fauna Facts, a quasi-educational, fully humorous discussion of animal facts. <gasps> Hopefully you learn something that you didn't know before. Um, my name is Grace. And I'm Mads. And today I wanted to talk about mammals, a specific group of mammals. Woo! Yep. So I was going to talk about Tenrex. Which not many people, I'm assuming, know what they are. I don't. They look like a mix between hedgehogs and shrews, depending on the species. There's 35 of them, and they live on Madagascar and the nearby mainland in Africa. They're funky little animals. There's a lot going on with them. Their closest related relative is a golden mole, which I think looks like a mole that is golden, but I don't actually know much about that. I mean, if I had to guess. Okay, I might have to talk about golden moles. I just looked them up and they are adorable. Really? Yeah, they look like, uh, they look kind of like Pokemon. (gasps) I shouldn't say that. Relating things back to fictional animals is problematic. (laughs) It is a little cutie. Anyway, Tenrex are pretty cute too. So, yeah, they look kind of like, some of them, the most common ones, there's a lot of spiky ones, but some of them live in burrows, some of them are semi-aquatic, so they look kind of like otters, and they are also closely related to otter shrews, but they're not shrews or otters. Wait, so, can I ask a question? Yes. Are all of these ten racks the same size like the ones that look like otters that aren't otters and the ones that look like hedgehogs but aren't i think they're all fairly small um some of them are mouse sized but some of them i think get up to maybe possum sized okay mice are very small and possums are very big so i don't Mm. hmm maybe i'm wrong about how big they get That's just a big range. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that's a big range. Okay. It says the largest one is the talus or, oh, there's like a lot of common names, but well, let's just call them common. Tenrec. So (laughs) Tenrec aquatatus is the largest and it weighs four and a half pounds. So probably smaller than a possum then. I would think so. So smaller than a cat, definitely. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, like a very, yeah, they're pretty small. Wait, what's the smallest tenrec then? Maybe I made up the mouse size too. He always asks the questions I don't look. Oh, yeah. The smallest species are the size of shrews. Okay. So, yeah. I think of shrews as being slightly bigger than mice, but is that incorrect? Um, they probably are, I guess. I don't know. It says here a house mouse is 
6.68 ounces. And then 10 hex are, these small 10 rex are 0.18 ounces. So they're actually smaller than house mice. Whoa! So yeah, they're definitely very small. So yeah, anyway, a wide range of sizes, many ecological niches that they evolved into after arriving in Madagascar. They're kind of funky because they're closely related to what we'd consider the ancestral form of mammals. Hmm. So if you know about how our urogenital and um, digestive system is set up, we have multiple openings. And they only have one, like birds and reptiles. So they have a cloaca. Oh my goodness. I thought you meant like the ingoing, not the outgoing. No. You have an ingoing <gasps> urogenital? You said digestive system and like other, I didn't. Oh, no. Yeah, I said that. I was trying to be, not say anus, but I guess I can say anus. Say it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. The only disclaimer on this podcast is that there's no expletives, but there will definitely be like anatomical and sexual references because animals have sex. So. That's true. I'm not going to shy away from that, even though I do. Don't. <laughs> is this podcast family friendly? I mean, if you accept that all animals have sex, then yeah. But if you don't, then no. It just depends on your family. Not all animals have sex. We had an entire podcast episode about scorpion anuses, so, you know. Oh, that's true. I That was a long time ago. Anyway, yeah, we talked all about that just because... Tenrex have a cloaca, which is weird for placental mammals. Other weird things about them. So the lowland streaked tenrek, it looks like a black and yellow hedgehog shrew-like animal. It lives in family groups and burrows around. What's interesting about it is it is the only known mammal that does stridulation. Okay. So stridulation is... It's more common in crickets and insects where they rub body parts together and they make a high sound. So these guys, they have quills, so they rub their quills together. And so there's this little patch on their back. And they use it to communicate. Scientists don't know what they're communicating because they do it all the time. They're fighting. They're running away. They're eating something. They're exploring. They're courting each other. They're stridulating. And it can be, you can hear it. It's within the range of human hearing. But uh, it also goes way, way higher. And apparently they also just squeak like regular mammals. But we can't hear that either because it's very, very high. So they're noisy little animals that we just can't really hear. So how much of it do you think we can hear? Oh, well, human hearing... The range is between 12 and 20 hertz, and they go down to 2 hertz and up to 200 hertz. Whoa. Yeah, so we can hear a small amount of their range, a very small amount of what they can hear. Wow. Our hearing is very limited. And who knows, maybe they can't hear all that, and they're just making high sounds, but hmm. that seems kind of weird if they could do that. I don't know if I think that's true. Other things I wanted to talk about. They do give birth to live young, so they're placental mammals, and they have very large litters. So this is the common tenrec, uh-huh. and in the wild it has 
15 young per litter on average. But in captivity, you can have up to 32. Wow. Which is apparently only the naked mole rat beats it. The record is a naked mole rat had 33. Apparently, there's a rule that says the number of nipples is twice the amount of young you have. So these guys have actually a lot of nipples, teats. They have 28 to 29, which makes sense if you follow that rule. Is it normal to have an even number? Yes. I don't know what the 29th nipple does, if it works or not. I know farm animals, it can can have different numbers. But from what I read, it might be caused by disease or something. And I know, I know apparently opossums, like the ones we have around here, have 13 nipples. But you don't know if the 13th one works? I think it does. Oh. And opossums. I tried to dive deep into... Nipples? The litter size and, and the nipples. <laughs> nipples or teats. I don't know which ones they were. But I could not find... It was really hard for me to find the original source of this information but I think it is true I don't think somebody made it up no I don't either but I guess I'm more interested in the idea of like I guess I never thought about it until this conversation about having an even number of nipples would be the norm and so and I say that to say that I'm surprised to hear that like the extra odd number could be non-functional in some animals well I mean you hear sometimes like humans have a third nipple yeah I've heard that from, like, Chandler on Friends. But I don't think it works. But apparently... Okay, I just looked this up. I don't know if this is true or not. Um, maybe I shouldn't say it then. Uh, throw it out there. Well, I didn't want to find it from Yahoo Answers or something. So apparently, in possums, it is a circle with one in the middle. What? They have a circle of nipples? Yes. Are you serious? Well, if you think about it, like, that's what cow's udders are, right? No, because there's only four of them, so it's a square. That's true. Okay, got me. And every other animal has them, like, in a, in two rows, in two columns. That's true. Okay, you got me. You're going to tell me the possums have a freaking circle? They have a circle? Yeah. Okay. Is it a circle or an oval? Because these are really important to me. Like, if it's like a... Oh, gosh. Now I'm looking up pictures of this. Oh, okay. This diagram makes it look like an oval. It's still weirder than just two columns. But it doesn't close the bottom. So it's like an arch? It's like an arch, yes. So like a very... But there's a 13th one in the middle. Yes. Okay. We're way off topic. I know. I'm sorry. Okay, so last thing I was going to talk about Tenrecs. I was going to talk about the common Tenrec. Tenrec aquadatus. Probably saying that wrong. It's rabbit-sized, and it's probably the most well-studied. It's grown it. It can be grown in the labs, so that's why probably we know the most about it. And I read this article from the journal Lab Animal, which was... I thought it was humorous. It was talking about the trouble that this head of a lab was having with them. So they didn't really know how big they were going to get. And so they grew from 12 grams to over 400 grams in five weeks. Wow. Which is, 400 grams is not that big, but the 
it's just a huge amount of, to grow in that little time. And so they're like, okay, let's see what happens when we put them on a diet. But they didn't lose weight. They just dropped their metabolism. And so animals that were one kilogram, which is, again, not big, could survive on five grams of food and maintain their weight. Okay, but that's crazy. Yeah, especially because small animals, they go through so much food. Mm-hmm. So much food compared to their size. Like, I mean, we're not eating our body size every day, but obviously some small animals do eat their, their body weight and food every day. So that's crazy. That kind of relates to what this guy is studying. So he studies hibernation. And these guys, even though they're, they live in the tropics, they do hibernate hmm. when it gets cold and also when it gets warm. Hmm. And they're... Hibernation is different from other mammals. So most animals, when they hibernate, they wake up once in a while to reset their metabolisms. Tenrex do not. So they found Tenrex in the wild that had just buried themselves in the sand. They really didn't burrow or anything. Just covered themselves in soil. And then for eight to nine months, they watched these Tenrex and they never woke up. They never moved, which is pretty crazy. That is crazy. Does that mean that they're only away for like three or four months of the year? Well, they actually, these ones that they are watching, they would have gone longer, longer. But the tools that they were using to study their metabolism were the batteries were dying. Are you serious? So they dug them up. Yeah. Wait, I'm confused. So was this like a controlled environment or no? Like... They, I think they were in the wild. I've read the abstract, but, um, I read some of the paper. I didn't, where was it? What did this paper, okay, here it is. Yep, they were in the wild. They dug them up because the, oh, the transmit, sorry, the transmitter signal was weakening because it was running out of battery. And apparently they had done this before and they were worried because the last time they did it, the animal just stopped hibernating and then left the area so they lost their data points oh no yeah yep so they're just in shallow soil and they never woke up yeah i think that's pretty amazing and the temperature i guess the temperature was like oh i don't know if i can do that it's in celsius in the paper so it went from maybe 40 down to 17 Oh, I guess they weren't hibernating when it was 40. They were hibernating when it was, like, high 20s to, I guess, it dipped down to the teens. But they, under the soil, it was, like, around 25, and they they stuck around. They do hibernate when it gets cold. But actually, after doing some experiments in the lab, they can't make them hibernate hmm. at different temperatures. So temperature might not be the cue because they're active when it's cold, they're active when it's warm. In some previous studies, I guess, has shown that when they hibernate when it's cold, they do wake up once in a while. But other studies have said that they don't, so it seems inconclusive. But the reason people are interested in this is exploration of deep space. Can we just make humans sleep forever? <laughs> Not sleep forever, but you know what I mean. Sleep for eight to nine months without waking up? Amazing. Then you could go to Mars. And then also because they're 
more closely related to the ancestral form of man, uh, mammals. It this way of hibernating might be how our an, uh, mammal ancestors survived the meteor crash between the Cretaceous and Paleogene. So for those of you who don't know, like the meteor that ends the Cretaceous could have wiped out the dinosaurs, but it probably caused like massive extinctions. I mean, it did cause massive extinctions of plants and there's no sunlight for many, many months because there's just ash everywhere. The whole world caught on fire pretty much and it was awful. And then afterwards, mammals took over the earth. Or not took over, but it gave rise to the number of mammal species that we see today. So maybe how this these animals hibernate could have been how the mammals during that horrific time in our Earth's history, maybe how they survived that. Yeah. Wait, so something that I just glossed over in my own mind was you said that they have the anatomy is similar to like earlier mammals in the sense of having a cloaca, right? Yes. So were like all early mammals having a cloaca or? Yeah, I think so. Huh. So early mammals probably laid eggs like platypus mm-hmm. and echidna. And so I'm pretty sure that platypus have a cloaca. Yeah, they do. So monotremes, which now are only made up of the platypuses, or I guess there's only one species of platypus, the platypus and echidnas, they have a cloaca. Hmm. But I'm pretty sure marsupials do not have a cloaca. No, they don't. Oh, but some of them do. What? Oh gosh, what is this? The marsupial moles have a true cloaca. Oh, a fact that has been used to argue against a marsupial identity for these animals. Wow. Mmm. <laughs> and what is this? Oh my gosh. This is just on the Cloaca page of Wikipedia. A delicious page. I'm <laughs> just looking at animal butts. Okay. Okay. Alright, so are you ready? Yes. This is a story that I thought of pretty much immediately once we started talking more seriously about doing this podcast. I think it is a fairly well-known New York City story, but it's from a while ago, so I think more recent people in the city don't know about it. I didn't know about it until my friend Theo, shout out Theo, told me about it, and it is wild. So, it's 2003. Okay. September 30th, this man named Antoine Yates goes to the hospital in Harlem. He's in the emergency room. He's got bites on his arm and his leg. And he says his pet pit bull had bitten him. Okay. But the medical team is feeling suspicious. The width of the bite marks look a lot larger than from a pit bull. But, you know, what are they going to do? They treat him. A few days later, he checks out of the hospital. And on the same day, the police following up on a tip, go to his home, his apartment in Harlem, to investigate. Mm-hmm. There's these loud growling noises that can be heard through the door of his apartment. And so the officer is like, I'm not going in there. Smart. So instead, agreed. So instead, 
the NYPD has this technical assistance response unit at the time, and they go to a neighbor's home, a neighbor's apartment, and they drill holes through the wall <gasps> and use a camera on a pole to see what is going on in here. What is it? Oh my gosh! It's a tiger. Oh, wait, in just like a regular New York apartment? Uh-huh. Like a full-grown tiger? It's a, it's a full-grown tiger. So they send this other policeman to the roof. He kind of like scales down on this rope sling, looks through the apartment windows. This tiger roars at him. He shoots it with a tranquilizer dart. Okay. And the tiger charges at the window and breaks it. <gasps> yeah. But, but it retreats further back into the apartment. And so they wait several minutes for the sedative to take effect because obviously. And then they send this animal control team into the apartment. And apparently there is a role called the city's chief veterinarian, uh, which at the time was held by a Dr. Robert Cook. And so he goes in, he's part of this animal control team. He goes into the apartment. He's got a catch pole. He gives the tiger another sedative injection and... They get the tiger, and it took six people to carry this tiger down in the elevator to a truck. Where where did they take it? To the zoo? Well, I got more to say before I get to that. I, I mean, I do have questions. Oh, I can only imagine. Was it a one-bedroom? No, no. I don't know how many bedrooms, but it was definitely multiple bedrooms, because, uh... Well, that's all I want to know. Oh, I'm going to tell you about how he had roommates. <laughs> <gasps> what? Had roommates? <laughs> no, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite that tragic. Okay. But, well, so they take this tiger away. The tiger's name is Ming, by the way. Okay. While they're in this apartment, they also discover Al, who is a five and a half foot alligator in one of the other bedrooms. Mm. Okay. And so the guy, the apartment owner or renter or whatever, Antoine Yates, was later located at a hospital in Philly and placed under guard. And so what's so interesting about all of this is that after they discovered Ming the Tiger in this apartment in 2003... They questioned the neighbors, and it turned out that the existence of this tiger was pretty widely known for at least three years, but... Oh my gosh. But it was kind of an urban legend at this point. So one fact that kept coming up was that Yates was regularly buying these large quantities of raw chicken at the at the, like, the local grocery store. And so it was a standing joke in the building that he could eat so much chicken every day, which was, by 2003, about 20 pounds per day of chicken, liver, and bones. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess I don't know. Wait, do tigers eat that much? 20 pounds? Was How big is that tiger? Listen, it was a full-grown tiger at that point, and he also had an alligator, and he also had I don't know what, oh. you know? So, That's true. The alligator doesn't have to eat that much, though, every day. I mean, it's cold-blooded. I don't know! <laughs> I want to know, how much should you feed your tiger? Was he overfeeding it? <laughs> to answer part of your previous question, so additionally, he had 
Gates had taken in roommates who were somehow at first unaware of all the animals in the home. What? So there's one woman named Caroline Domingo who said she was really terrified at first when she spotted a tiger roaming free in the apartment where her and her husband were renting this room, obviously. But <laughs> she says, quote, Eventually, we all became family. What a bunch of weirdos. No. So what happened was, in 2000, so three years earlier, Antoine Yates, he was 31 at the time. He was a part-time taxi driver. He purchased this tiger who was eight weeks old, a Siberian Bengal tiger hybrid from the Bearcat Hollow Animal Park in Minnesota. Okay. And there's actually records that indicate that the same organization had previously sold a lion cub to Gates, but he had found another home for the lion, like, soon after he purchased the tiger. Okay. And then just had him for three years. I don't know. In his apartment. So, this guy Yates gets arrested on charges of reckless endangerment and the possession of a wild animal, and actually, his mother gets charged with endangering the welfare of a child because she had been babysitting children in the apartment. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, as part of a plea agreement to reduce charges against his mother, Yates pleaded guilty to reckless endangerment and he eventually served a five-month prison term with five years probation. He was released after serving three months and subsequently... Subsequently, he sued New York City for the loss of his pets, including a rabbit. So there was also a rabbit in the apartment. How would he keep the rabbit without... Oh my gosh. I don't know. And uh, for $7,000 cash, which he claimed had also been in the apartment. So he was saying, like, the police stole it. And Mm. the judge dismissed the case. And this is a quote from that case that the judge said. The word chutzpah... Despite not debuting in a reported judicial opinion until 1972, is now vastly overused in legal literature. Yet in a case such as this, it is a most appropriate term to use. (laughs) Which I liked. Thought that was funny. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, where did they go? So, the authorities decided to take the seized animals to, you know, more appropriate housing. There's this animal sanctuary in Ohio that the tiger was sent to, Ming the tiger, and Al the alligator was given a new home in Indiana. And then you might ask, where is Antoine Yates? Yes. Unclear. As of 2010, he supposedly was living in Nevada near Las Vegas with 22 big cats, (gasps) renaming himself Antoine Tiger Man Yates. He supposedly established the ROAR Foundation, which stands for Reach Out and Respond, in 2011. But a 2018 article in the New York Post, which is like also of dubious veracity, yes. casts doubt on Yates, noting that a licensed tiger owner in the town where he's supposed to be in Nevada stated that Yates had never lived there. Mm. Yeah. So this is a pretty famous story for obvious reasons, and if you want to see more about it, there is a dramatization on an Animal Planet show called Fatal Attractions. 
the episode that features them or talks about them is called A Tiger Loose in Harlem, which has a mix of recreation but also actual footage complete with commentary from Antoine Yates and his family and the police. There's also a documentary film called The Tiger Next Door. And then there's also another film called Ming of Harlem, 21 Stories in the Air, that was screened at the New York Film Festival in 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Probably in all senses of the word, honestly. Yes. The good news is... I looked this up. Mature wild tigers and lions consume between 10 and 25 pounds of prey. <laughs> so he's probably not overfeeding his tiger. Oh my God, Grace. What? I think that's important. I need a, vi- I, I don't have visuals. I don't know if it's a tubby tiger or a skinny tiger. This was also 16 years ago. Why does that matter when I have visuals in my head? It probably has been properly fed since then. Yes, but I mean, that's true. That's true. No, you wanted to know, you wanted to know if Antoine Yates was a good tiger dad. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, he got rid of lion, but he had alligator. And obviously the tiger was eating enough that it did not eat small children or rabbits. Apparently. That were in the house, so. Or the roommates. Or the roommates. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. Yes. I really want to know how... I just want to know what his apartment looked like, though. I want to know how many bedrooms. Me too. You know, no one was... No uh, news agency was forthcoming with that information. They did describe Antoine Yates as a character... And, and not just in the fact that he, like, had a tiger and an alligator, but, like, apparently he came to court and he was dressed up in this kind of over-the-top outfit and was very confident. Mm-hmm. Just sounds like a very interesting person. Well, it's gotta be at least, let's see, he has an alligator, he has a tiger. I hope he didn't sleep in the same room with them. And then he had roommates. He had, yeah, he had a couple live with him at least once. I think at least three or four bedrooms, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, three or four bedrooms. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. And two of those roommates are not paying rent. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I mean, the fact that he could afford to buy a tiger cub, I mean, he was doing something right. Yeah, and 20 pounds of chicken a day. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Wow. Well, he's doing something right, apparently. I don't know what, but... (laughs) I mean, he's, he's living a life worth talking about. I think we can say that with confidence. That's true. Yes, yes. I think that's something we all aspire to, but... Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we should rethink that. All right, here we go. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Fauna Facts, Lucky Number 13. If you would like to see visuals for this episode, please find us on Instagram at Fonifax Podcast. We are also on Blogger at Fonifaxpodcast.blogspot.com if you don't have Instagram. 
And you can always email us any interesting animal facts or general feedback or whatever at faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review us, tell your friends. We really have a lot of fun making this and we would love for as many people as possible to enjoy it as well. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye.